everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Real quick, my friends, go get my new book. It's called The Power to Publish. And it's at the top of the page of zbooks.co at the link, my new book. And it's going to help you with all of your self-publishing needs. Okay, back to that podcast. Welcome to the ZBooks Successful Authors Podcast. And with me, I have one of my childhood heroes. Well, not exactly childhood heroes. I've been following him since 2015 when I was a childhood blogger, when I first started blogging. And he is the head honcho, the big gun, the number one side hustler in the world. Help me welcome Nick Loper of Side Hustle Nation. How are you doing, Nick? Doing well, Eric. Thank you for that intro. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's so cool to hook up with you finally. I'm, like I said, I've been, I was looking at the blog today and I saw one of my comments from February 2016 and I know that was the Rosemary Groener Pinterest tactics and strategies. Okay, and I know okay. I that was a classic for, episode for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot has changed in Pinterest since then. And um, um, yeah, so, uh, and I know I'd been following you before that too, so. It's excellent to have you here. So where are you right now? Sunny California. So we're about a half hour east of Oakland, a little town called Livermore. Really? Yeah. My dad is in San Jose and I know that area well. But Livermore, isn't that where they used to have the drag races? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I've never, never been a part of it. I'm older than you, so maybe, it, maybe it's gone. But <laughs> Oh, but the f- most important question I forgot is, is the side hustle Shih Tzu at your side right now? He is. He's actually sleeping uh, right behind me. So I'm recording from my kid's uh, bedroom closet, and uh, <laughs> you got the bunk beds right behind me, and he's fast asleep on there. Cool. And, and why a Shih Tzu and not a pit bull? And well, it was very much my wife's dog at the beginning. Uh, okay. She had a Shih Tzu growing up, and so that was the uh, the short list of breeds that uh, that she was considering. I was actually out of town on a work trip, and you know, she went to the breeder with her friend, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, she's so cute! I have to get him." Like, mm-hmm. okay, we're getting a dog. <laughs> I did not want the extra like responsibility uh, for <laughs> that, but you know, he's he's become a very important part of the family since then, and. Um, uh, my my in-laws have a Shih Tzu, and uh, he looks like Samuel Jackson. Does does yours have any nicknames? He kind of looks like an Ewok. That's probably <laughs> yeah. what he most yeah. resembles. So, you know, you stick him in the snow, he kind of looks like a polar bear. But... <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's let's get serious for a little. You know. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Yeah. What got you started, and what is your big why? Started in self-publishing? No, yeah, well, side hustling in the very beginning because self-publishing wasn't your first thing, was it? It was not. My first book was in 2012, but I was already uh, full-time self-employed at that point. I mean, really, the big motivating factor was like to be able to control my own calendar, to control my own schedule. And it's a little weird because I, for the most part, still work probably 30, 40 hours a week, but it's like, I'm doing it for myself instead of doing it for somebody else for the next 30, 40 years. Like that was a really scary thing. And like, I was a a good student in school. Mm -hmm. And so the prospect of, you know, going through this whole process and then graduating and then doing what you're quote, you know, supposed to do. And like, that was kind of scary. It was like, look, you're, you're a smart guy. You ought to be able to figure out a better way, a different way. And so that was really, really motivating to, to figure out an alternative path rather than just trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to climb somebody else's corporate ladder. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, because uh, it's very uh, important that your dream side hustle just doesn't become another nightmare job, you know? Yeah, that's the last thing that you need. 
Yeah. So what was the first, uh, what was like the first contact you made? What did you do? Just go Google how to make money online or? I've definitely Googled that as I'm sure most of us have at some point. My, uh, my first business uh, was in the affiliate marketing space. It was a comparison shopping site for footwear. So it would pull in the catalogs from Zappos and Amazon, we didn't probably have Amazon in the early days, but Zappos and all these other different online shoe sellers and tell you where you can find the best price on your next pair of shoes and would collect affiliate commissions when somebody bought through that site. Mm-hmm. And um, then that evolved into Side Hustle Nation or, or, or tell us about that e- evolution. Yeah, that was the main focus for a long time. So three years, nights and weekends, side hustling, building up that business. Finally was confident or got up the nerve to quit my day job and run the shoe business full time. And it was five or yeah, probably five years deep into doing that full time where, you know, and I'd started other projects on the side before this as well. Most of them kind of flopped. And it was during some soul searching of like, well, what do you want to be known for when people Google you? What do you never get tired about talking about? What really gets you excited? And this idea of the side hustle, like this lower risk brand of entrepreneurship really started to stand out because I'll geek out on different business ideas, business models all day long. That was really exciting. And most of the content surrounding entrepreneurship that I could find was the Silicon Valley narrative of like, you're going to jump off a cliff, you're going to raise venture capital, you're going to figure out how to build your parachute on the way down. (laughs) That for me was not, you know, that was not my experience. And mostly other people that I talked to, like real, you know, regular, quote, regular people that I talked to, that wasn't their experience either. So it felt like there was this untapped market to talk about, no, like you can start something low risk, you can do it on the side and you can build it up um, in that way. Yeah. You're, um, your Side Hustle Nation website is, is such a rich resource. And you have, I think, I think your first, uh, what do you call it? The first one you recommend people to go to is like your blog post of like, what, what, what is it? 67 different side hustles that you could do, right? Yeah. And the list keeps growing. So yeah. it started, yeah, I think it started at 79 and then it was 99. And now I stopped updating the, the title, but it's <laughs> well over 100 at this point. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so now, now, now that we're on that, how do you make sure that your new side hustle doesn't become a nightmare job? Any tips? Well, you can, I mean, it's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns for sure, but you can set it up in such a way that it's something that you're interested in that you can work towards mastery on, that you have some autonomy and greater purpose towards what you're doing, where it's like, okay, who am I serving? How am I helping them? How is that helping me and my family? Mm-hmm. Those types of things can kind of provide the motivation to keep you going when times do get hard. But it's like in the shoe business, for example, like I'm not a sneakerhead. I don't care. I mean, I probably bought three pairs of shoes over the course of <laughs> almost 10 years of having this business. Like it was not my best customer at all. But the process of, you know, uh, optimizing the site and figuring out how to drive profitable traffic with AdWords and, you know, analyzing the performance of all that stuff, like that was really interesting and empowering and fun. And, you know, bringing on outside help to, to figure that out so I could do different projects. Like it was like the, the behind the scenes business stuff was way more interesting than the actual topic. So yeah. if the topic is not interesting, you have to find some excitement, some interest in another part of the business. Otherwise you're just going to be bored. And that's what entrepreneurship is for the most part is like, you know, bumping up against the next challenge. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, I don't know, like I learn more every day. Like I'm trying to figure out how to do this thing. You know, that's just before this call is like, um, did a, did a video chat with a guy who was making money renting out his car on Turo. And so now I have the new challenge of like, uh, you know, slicing up his transcript, trying to make a cool video for YouTube, um, trying to storyboard the thing. Like it's a total new challenge for me. Have you gotten to the point where you've hired somebody yet or are you just subcontracting? Just subcontracting at this point, actually a handful of different contractors. Right now I have a a podcast editing service um, who kind of 
takes the raw audio and, and cleans that up for me in a large in large parts like based on the transcript like i can mm-hmm. you know just cross out sections that i, that I don't want and they make it sound good there's yeah. um, a handful of freelance writers that i work with to produce content for uh for the site and for like the show notes for the podcast like the su- mm-hmm. episode summaries for the podcast i've got a like I could call it like my website insurance service called <laughs> ZenWP. I think it's ZenWP.co. And mm-hmm. it's just like this monthly subscription. Like if anything breaks on your WordPress site or if you need anything updated, like they're just kind of on call uh, to deal with that. Cool. And then there's a service called OK Relax that I've been using for years and years. And this is kind of my uh, default general admin uh dedicated virtual assistant, really affordable service. I'm on my fourth assistant with them. They've all been really reliable and, and pretty, pretty strong. So based in the Philippines. And so Angel is my assistant now. She's in charge of, you know, formatting blog posts and installing lead magnets and running standard weekly reports and just kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily take a ton of time, but mm-hmm. it's pretty routine. And so she could figure out how to get that done. And what was that service or platform called? That was okrelax.com. <laughs> That's cool. That's a good name. They, they got a good one on that. Yes. And you mentioned another platform before that. That was ZenWP ah, yeah. for Z- WordPress maintenance and support. Cool. Right on. And uh, what, one, of my, um, one of the first things that got you on my radar was uh, Steve Scott. He, I think he did a blog post interview or you did a guest post on his blog behind the scenes of a 20,000 download book launch. And that one, that one uh, blew my socks off and a lot of people too. And uh, that was just awesome. And uh, what did you, uh, but that, that is actually, would you launch a book like that again? That's a good question. So that post detailed the launch of uh, of a book I did called Work Smarter, which uh, was a, you did the KDP free promo for four and a half days um, during that launch. That's a fantastic way to go if you don't have a built-in audience, if you don't necessarily want to see the book as a huge uh, revenue source on its own, but you see that as an entry point to your brand. And really that's what pretty much all books are these days, unless you're going the Steve Scott route and you want to write a hundred different books and just kind of build uh, a portfolio type of business. But um, I still think it's viable. I'm sure the algorithms and and specific tactics around that have changed since 2014. Yeah. I was um, a little more involved with your buy buttons book. And so what did you do differently then with that one? So buy buttons launched at 99 cents instead of free. And the big difference there was uh, I had a much larger audience uh, of my own to, to tap into and rely on for that. So for the sake of comparison, Work Smarter launched, probably had an email list of around a thousand people, maybe even a little mm-hmm. bit less. Mm-hmm. With buy buttons, by the time buy buttons launched in 2016, that was 35,000. Oh, so nice. A much bigger group to tap into. So I recruited maybe 50, so, 50 or so people to be part of the launch team mm-hmm. um, and quietly put and, and kind of gave them a behind the scenes look at, you know, my production process. Like here, yeah. here's my content, content uh, writing calendar. And like I wrote the book in, in like not start to finish, but I wrote it in sections. And so I you know, would show mm-hmm. them kind of like the outline file and be like, okay, I need yeah. to knock out this section and this section. I'm still looking for sources for this section. Um, what do you guys think of these cover concepts? What do you guys think of this introduction? What do you think of the subtitles? And they would vote on all this stuff. So they were kind of involved and had a little bit of a vested interest in, in the process. Quietly uploaded the draft to Amazon or the, the finished version to Amazon and let them all, I gave, you know, gave them all advanced copies. It was like, hey, you know, it's 99 cents. If you want to go buy a copy, go buy a copy. Mm-hmm. Um, just so your review, your eventual review, if shows up as verified, which for what it's worth, it might be more something. Yeah. And so on the big public launch day, already had double digits worth of reviews thanks to that launch team. So that was the big, that was the big difference going in. And so that one went at 99 cents for the first week or so, and then kind of slowly stair-stepped, stair-stepped up the price to 
$2.99 and then I think $3.99. I think it's been at $3.99 for, for a few years now. And um, did you do the pre-launch phase? So or the pre-sale, do... pre-sale phase on Amazon, I mean. I didn't do any pre-sale. And the reason that I don't like the pre-sale thing is, you know, unless you're trying to hit some bestseller list, yeah. is because when you go to do this big public launch, people show up on day one and there's no reviews for the book. It's like, it still looks <laughs> like this ghost town. And if you're Tim Ferriss, if you're Chris Gillibo, if you're even Pat Flynn to a certain extent, like you can get away with that, but I didn't feel like I, could, I felt like I could make a bigger impact and spread, you know, have the algorithms working in my favor a little bit better if I could have had that listing seeded with some reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, like I said, I was a little bit more involved with that. I think I was in your Facebook group and uh, that was pretty cool. Um, by the way, what do you think about Facebook groups? A lot of people are saying, oh, they don't even do email lists anymore. They're just making a Facebook group. I think your reach is probably going to be better on email lists or it's like a hedge at least. Yeah. I mean, the more, the more places I have to get in touch with somebody, the better mm -hmm. um, for sure. It was a little bit tricky to manage that launch team because, you know, some people were in Facebook, some people were on the, you know, just on the email list or kind of the informal Excel sheet that I made. Uh, some people were in both. And so it was like a little bit of manual work and messaging the people, you know, it would be awesome to just, Hey, make a post in the Facebook group and say, you know, now I can reach everybody, but it wasn't, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I was thinking because if you had a 35,000 list, then, uh, it might've been, um, a way to leverage the, not the SEO, but the shares and the virality of the Facebook group. I mean, I don't know. Did you have any kind of way to do that? So what I ended up doing uh, as far as social on that launch was it, so the book was called buy buttons. And so I found this little like button type of graphic. And I remember sharing that on Facebook and making it public. Um, I don't know if I included a link in the post itself since or maybe I, I don't know, because there's always some algorithm thing with Facebook. It's like, well, if you put a link in, they're not going to spread it as far and wide. Um, didn't tag a bunch of people, but had a bunch of people, uh, agree to share that in, um, you know, as part of the launch team too. And so they, they saw that post or I kind of, here's the permalink for this post. If you want to share this, that'd be awesome. Hmm. Interesting. So, you know, drive as much, you know, social love to that, um, to that yeah. one piece of content. Yeah. So um, what got you started in writing? Was it to make another source of income or because you wanted to be a writer or what? I feel like I've been writing for, you know, forever. The, the first book that I did was in 2012. It was on how to hire and work with virtual assistants. The, the reason that I published the book was actually because the, the website I had a virtual, I actually still do I have a virtual assistant kind of directory and review site. Mm -hmm. At that time, especially the design of the site was pretty gross looking like it wasn't the most authoritative looking site so i was like my theory was people would come to the site see oh he wrote the book on the topic he seems trustworthy i'll go buy the book and you know go read the reviews on the site mm -hmm. the interesting thing is what actually ended up happening because of you know affiliate link tracking and stuff you could kind of tell like oh very few people actually did what i thought they were going to do hmm. you know come to the site and go buy the book on amazon more people discovered the book on amazon and then took the opposite path, then went and, yep. and discovered the site. So that was really interesting, kind of eye-opening to the power of Amazon as a search engine on its own. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've had the same experiences. But my favorite thing is to publish a free book just to get people going to my website, you know. <laughs> so uh, any new books on the horizon? I mean, there's always, there's always more coming down the pipeline. None that I have started uh, at the moment. The most recent book project was updating a, a book from 2015 called mm -hmm. The Side Hustle Path and actually just ended up pretty much bulldozing it and, and rewriting <laughs> it. Um, and now it's just called The Side Hustle. And so that's similar to what you're just saying. That's perma-free uh, on mm -hmm. Amazon. It's kind of a, a intro to you know, intro to side hustling, you know, I was just yeah. trying to, you know, be discovered in this search engine and hopefully impress people and get people, 
in, engaged and excited about this idea and this brand. Yeah, right on. Uh, and, and that's on Amazon right now? Yes. Uh, SideHustleNation.com slash book will get you okay. okay. Awesome. SideHustleNation.com slash book. All right. I'm going to write that down. Cool. And then, um, okay, so, but you are the master side hustler and every millionaire has seven streams of income, somebody said. <laughs> so what, what's, what are your seven streams or what's your favorite one? Oh my goodness, I actually have some posts on this. Like here are the 15 streams of income I'm working on right now. Yeah. Here are 15. 23 yeah. different ways I make passive income or something. Um, and some of those are, are very, very small. Um, the, I'll, I'll tell you the biggest ones. The biggest ones for me are uh, sponsorships on the Side Hustle Show. It's turned mm -hmm. into a pretty significant income stream uh, over the past couple of years. Affiliate offers uh, through the site, mm -hmm. uh, which generally, you know, probably two thirds, three quarters of the traffic uh, comes from SEO. So become more intentional around uh, affiliate relationships over there. The third stool would be my own like side hustle experiments and I'll lump uh, self-publishing into that. I'll lump uh, Udemy courses, Fiverr sales, clarity.fm consulting calls, mm -hmm. stuff like that um, into that third bucket. And then beyond that, you know, one thing that I've tried to do consciously over the last few years is you know, figure out a way to get paid over and over again from work I do once. And so I've been consciously building up a portfolio of dividend stocks and other cash flowing assets that, you know, the price may go up, the price may go down, but these are kind of a lot, in a lot of cases, these boring old fashioned companies like Target yeah. and AT&T and Chevron, where it's like, hey, they've paid a dividend for 50 years and they've grown it every year for, you know, the last 49 of those years or something like that. Um, so building up that truly, truly passive uh, cash flow has been yeah. uh, an exciting extra uh, experiment of mine. Cool. Have you gotten the Bitcoin bug? <laughs> I, I should check my Bitcoin holdings. I <laughs> own a fraction of a Bitcoin. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm still kicking myself in the butt for that. I, I started in, oh boy, when they were a hundred dollars and, uh, well, should have should have held on to them. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'll be like at the at the blackjack table and be like up twenty bucks and be like, I'm good. You know, I can never yeah. be on these movies. Be like, guys, I, I yeah. took down the house for seven million dollars. Like, no, I'm out. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, man, if it was easy, then we'd all be millionaires, right? So for sure. Yeah. Okay. With all those streams of income, what what do you call yourself? Are you a blogger, a writer, an infopreneur? I've actually started calling myself a podcaster more and more oh. kind of lean in to that. I think I put that on our second son's birth certificate. He was born in 2018 and my wife is like just rolling her eyes. <laughs> this is like <laughs> for her, it's easy. She puts down engineer on everything and it's like profession. Like, I don't know what to put. I never knew what to put, but I did put podcaster on there and really yeah. kind of recognizing that as the main, um, the main focus for me. Cool. That's very interesting because, I mean, I have to look it up. I, I was reading, I think, a blog post from Ramit Sethi, and he did this experiment where every party he went to, he would say something else like writer, author, or an entrepreneur. And he said author was the one that worked the best. Um, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. I've done author as well in the past, but if you just look at the straight book royalties, it's like a sliver of the income pie. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting how, you know. Oh, sorry. I got to take a drink here. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, um, it's September and uh, officially summer is over in Germany. So the temperature is dropping like crazy. Okay, so I was uh, listening to uh, yet one another of your podcasts and you were talking about the state of California and affiliate marketing. Did you have to, did you go to court to fight the bad guys? Um, did not go to court, but did go to Sacramento and the state assembly to try and lobby on behalf of the performance marketing association, which was, you know, really coming under attack, you know, several years ago as the state legislatures, not just in California, but really around the country, were like, hey, we're losing all of this tax revenue because 
even though people are supposed to self-report and pay their uh, you know, sales and use tax on out-of-state purchases, nobody does that. And so we're losing all this revenue as as a percentage of retail shifts from, from brick and mortar here in our state to Amazon and some of these other places. And so they're like, how can we get Amazon to collect tax? How can we get these out-of-state companies to collect tax? And what they came up with, which I'll hand it to them, was pretty creative because the letter of the law based on some like court decision from the early 90s was, unless that company has a physical location in your state, mm -hmm. they can't be compelled to collect the right. tax for you. Right. And so what the legislator did was like, yeah, we understand you don't have an office, you don't have a warehouse here, Amazon, but you have affiliates in California, people who are part of the Amazon Associates program. And what Amazon said, and what most other retailers did as well was like, well, that's easy. We'll just, <laughs> just cross off those people from our list. We will just fire all of our Amazon Associates. Wow. And as a person who was running an affiliate business that relied on Amazon Associates income and, and income from these other out-of-state retailers uh, as an affiliate, like that was a really devastating move to my business. It was like, yeah. well, all of a sudden you're going you're gonna to sever your ties with me just because of where I live. I have this uh, completely digital business that has no carbon footprint that like this makes zero yeah. sense. And so we we're trying to lobby um, against that. And of course, Amazon they they cut some deals and they ended up starting to build distribution centers here and it it worked out but i actually had to go rent an apartment in nevada and move up to state line in nevada for a few months while this wow. all shook out just to be able to keep operating wow maybe that's why i thought you lived out of in arizona or something um wow that well that's cool though you you went and did that i always respect people that you know go fight and uh, i remember jeff bezos he fought a long time too against washington dc because that's why he put the headquarters in i think arizona well he moved it to seattle first because of the tax laws and then he moved i think the the, the, the biggest warehouse to arizona because they didn't have any state tax so yeah, he yeah, fought it for it's, a long it's been a time. Long time and, strategy of theirs, and they're kind of shifting away from that, like getting product closer to consumers, just so they can deliver faster with Prime and Prime Now. But for for a long time, like they definitely saw no sales tax as a competitive yep. advantage. Yeah, yeah. I was proud of Jeff Bezos fighting against Washington D.C. and then, uh, well, then you, <laughs> that's a losing battle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, back to uh, books and online stuff and uh, your blog and Side Hustle Nation. What is your favorite audience building method? Or do you have a killer hack? Or yeah, what's, what's your favorite list building method? So the secret is just uh, do a weekly podcast for six years and mm -hmm. then you'll, you'll get there. Um, <laughs> the So the, the, the podcast has definitely been my number one discovery channel. Mm -hmm. but not neglecting the the written content as well. So, you know, even today, you know, like I said, three quarters of the traffic comes from Google. Now, a certain percentage yep. of those people are looking, you know, for branded searches, Side Hustle Nation, Side Hustle Show, stuff like that. But a lot of those searches are kind of keyword specific searches where different posts that I've written over the years uh, rank for. So, mm -hmm. and some of those are podcast episodes too. So it's like, you know, reselling on Amazon, the post that were, or the podcast episode that we did uh, on that ranks pretty well for, for a couple of years, Merch by Amazon. If you're searching for, for information on that specific side hustle podcast episode that we did, it's going to show up pretty highly in, in Google. Um, so if you don't have show notes, if you don't have a written content, written portion of your site, like you're, you're losing out on a ton of potential traffic. The big inflection point for me was in 2014 um, was in figuring out how to convert podcast listeners into email subscribers. So like I said, mm -hmm. uh, summer 2014 had around a thousand people on the email list. I, I flipped the switch and realized that the podcast by itself does not a business make, mm -hmm. but it can still be a content marketing channel for the greater business. So it's like, it's time to start treating it like that. And so I started to create these episode specific lead magnets or opt-in offers or content upgrades, right? Like yeah. you're out walking the dog or you're at the gym or you're driving in your car. You're not in a great position usually to take notes on this content. Don't worry, 
I did it for you. I've created this highlight reel summary of all the top tips from today's guest, and you can find it over here at this easy to remember URL, right? Within three months, the email list was 3,000. Within six months, it was 6,000. That was a big inflection point for the, for the show and for the business. That is a very good tip. I kind of do that with my podcast, but now I'm going to really do that. Thank you very much. You bet. So, so what is your favorite funnel? And, and funnels can be a lot of things. They don't have to be just one software in click funnels. You know, what, do you have a favorite path? That's an interesting one. I don't have the, the high ticket item to try and sell anybody. So my funnel is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear you down with hopefully compelling content over a period <laughs> of, of months and years. Um, and eventually maybe you'll click on an affiliate link or something right now. That's the main game plan for me. Mm-hmm. What I've added in the past couple of years is a, um, what do you call them? Kind of like um, interest specific onboarding sequences. I'll call them that. Um, so uh, segmentation. Campaign, yeah, inactive campaign. I've got maybe eight or 10 of these set up. Depending on what you opt in for, I'm going to send you down a path or send you a series of emails relevant to that topic because the side hustle show is, is really, really broad. Like there's stuff on e-commerce and stuff on starting a freelancing business and stuff on starting a blog and podcast. And so instead of the old, you know, one size fits all autoresponder that I had in Aweber, in Active Campaign, I've been able to better segment those people and send them stuff that hopefully is more relevant, helpful, and interesting to them. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, you kind of also said it, your podcast is also the tip of your funnel now. Yes, very much so. Okay. Yeah, I'm always interested in that one because there's just it, it's just exponential. You know, everybody has some people do webinars and um, and then paid advertising. That some people just swear by that paid advertising to a Facebook ad to a webinar and then and then on the back end or the end of the webinar, you know, then the, the sale or whatever follow up with email. So, what what is your take on paid advertising? If you can make paid advertising profitable, you have found the holy grail. Like anytime <laughs> you could trade a dollar for two, like I'll make that trade all day long. That's what built the the shoe business was heavily, heavily reliant on Google AdWords uh, for traffic. And it was that same thing, like buy a click for 25 cents, resell it for 50 on average. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, and scale that up as best you can. And so do you have a, a specific or a favorite channel right now? I'm not running any paid ads at the moment. Um, actually, I have my Facebook ads account shut down a couple years ago for, wow, who knows? I don't know. They don't really tell you why. Huh. Um, some policy violation. And it was, you know, promoting similar stuff to what everybody else was promoting in the personal finance space. I'm not really sure uh, what I did. So I've since been reinstated a little bit but it's got me kind of gun shy or hesitant to to really go all in (laughs) go all in on that on top of that the ads that i was running were profitable but the tracking wasn't amazing so it was like the margins weren't big enough such that it was like okay let's Hmm. let's bump this thing up to a thousand bucks a day like it wasn't quite ready to do that yet yeah so but but if it's the holy grail then would you um if you found the holy grail in advertising, you got something going really good, would you then neglect your other list building activities like, like, the, uh, like the podcast or the funnel or email? I mean, since would you do that? Would you just switch then over to the paid advertising? Um, that's a good question. It's definitely a labor of love to do the show, so it's hard to imagine uh, stopping doing that. So maybe you could bring... Uh, someone, uh, someone on team member or Facebook ads expert to kind of manage that other element, that other side of the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, the temptation is very high. A lot of people think uh, paid advertising is a silver bullet, but those things are expensive, and you're going to waste a lot of money <laughs> trying to find that holy grail, you know. But yeah, and yeah, then you know, as as more people get in, then the click the costs go up and stuff. So. I like yeah. your take on it with the Holy Grail. <laughs> That's what ended up happening. And so it's like 
that's almost your imperative is to like, if you have found profitable traffic, like get while the getting's good because in the shoe business over the course of those seven, eight, 10 years, like the costs continue to rise. And on the flip side, like my commissions from the advertisers, like kind of got squeezed. So I was kind of, you know, playing in this margin in the middle and it didn't last forever. I naively thought, okay, this could be my thing. I'll be selling shoes till I'm 80. You know, <laughs> it, it didn't work that way. So if yeah. you can run paid traffic, you know, definitely uh, milk that while you can. Yeah. 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 That's a, what is it? A strike while the iron's hot. I, I learned that too with Amazon ads, you know, when they, when Amazon first opened up, man, geez, you, it was just so easy to make a, make whatever, 200%. And now you know, everybody's getting in. So those yep. clicks are getting more expensive and yeah, the gold rushes, the golden day, whatever is over. Yep. Uh, talking about Amazon, um, who is your favorite author? Favorite author? Who do I read everything they put out? I mean, it doesn't um, have to be nonfiction or any, you know, it can be anything. Well, probably the best that I've read this year is um, Shoe Dog, is Phil Knight's story of Nike. Hmm. It was just a really interesting story. I had no idea for example, that Nike started as a side hustle. It didn't even start as Nike for the first 10 years. Wow. He started by importing uh, Onitsukus from Japan. It was, mm. it was a really well-told story. And so that was an interesting one. I think uh, Chris Gillibo is a fantastic storyteller. He's got some stuff in the side hustle uh, niche. Who, um, uh, Pat Flynn is obviously incredible. Superfans was awesome this summer. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what I'm, uh, what I'm going after these cool. days. Yeah. So if you could only gift somebody one marketing or business book, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Normally yeah. I go with uh, the Go-Giver by Bob Berg, which is essentially about helping people, <laughs> you know, serve first and trust that you're going to find a way to, to monetize later, which has definitely been my story, not necessarily how I started, definitely started with like, okay, how do I make money online? And then have come to realize like, oh, money comes from helping people. And I think <laughs> I got lucky uh, on that in the shoe business, but have been more conscious of that in, in later projects. I haven't heard that one, the go-giver. Yeah, is it good? It's like a very short kind of parable about, you know, somebody in sales and how do I make my numbers? And it's like, well, you know, go out and go out and help somebody. <laughs> Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Okay, cool. So, so what's your number one productivity hack? The thing that's probably, well, a couple things. Um, I know you asked for only one, but a couple things <laughs> have been really important. Um, first is the, the, the habit of writing down your top three priorities for the next day, the night before. So mm-hmm. instead of waking up and having this uh, onboarding time, you know, uh, ramp up, you know, boot up time of checking email and checking Facebook. It's like, no, you know exactly what you need to do and in what order you need to tackle them. Because that's what, you know, yesterday Nick said was most important. So that's Mm -hmm. been really good. And the second thing that's been super helpful is uh, creating theme days or mostly what that means is like batching as many meetings and recordings as they can on one day a week. So for example, it's Tuesday, today's meeting day, today's recording day. That frees up the rest of the time for more deep work sessions for, you know, longer term projects. And just like, instead of having like, oh, well, I got, I only have half an hour before my next call. So I can't really start anything. So you just end up wasting a ton of time that way. So that's been a big, a big shift for me the last few years. Cool. Yeah. I've uh, experimented with that too, with batching. That's a good one. And, you know, I did that one. Maybe I got it from you. The top, write down your top three prios. Um, do you remember who did that first? Was that this Charles Schwab guy from a hundred years ago? Oh, it's possible. I, I definitely did not invent it. So yeah. <laughs> I won't take credit for it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good one. I, I read it also. Um, okay, so, okay, you've got the three prios. Do you have any other kind of planning technique or project management thing for your blog? You know, how do you keep it all together? You do visualizations or the 12 week year or mind maps, whatever. 
pretty poorly. I probably could do a much better job of this. Like I look at other people like, oh, here's my content calendar going out nine months. Like, no, that does not exist over here. What I tend to do uh, is work in four week sprints. And so mm-hmm. I've found that is long enough to get something meaningful done, but short enough where the deadline is still real. And so that for me is 16 working days in most cases. And it's like, okay, what am I going to have to do to make that a reality and kind of reverse engineer or itemize out the milestones or the little tasks inside of that project that need, uh, that need to happen. For, for example, this summer was working on uh, a course on you know how to start your first side hustle how to start a service business and get off the sidelines and you know so that was done over the course of three months and so i had these you know three different four week sprints inside of that you know first one was outline the course second one was you know kind of do a pre uh, pre-launch and film the course and then i forget what the third one was but it was like set up in such a way where it's like okay here's the number one focus of priority and because otherwise it, it makes it easier to say no to stuff that doesn't align with that or at least not yeah. right now and just gives me some some focus to to get something done to move it forward yeah that's mm, almost answers my next question very related so because i i am easily distracted with the bells and whistles and then so you know there's this thing called 30 day monk syndrome so for example um uh, Facebook messenger bot messaging list building was big for a while. Now you don't hear anything about it. And, and so how do you combat this 30 day monk syndrome and this shiny new shiny thing syndrome? Well, having those sprint goals helps because I, I can at least table it. So I, sometimes if, if an interesting message comes across my inbox, I'll just forward it to, you know, six weeks at nudgemail.com. Nudgemail is a cool service oh. where to like, you know, ping back to your, uh, to your inbox later. I think they probably have a, a built-in like snooze feature or something now Gmail does, but Nudgemail is one that I've been using for years. Um, it's like, I'll, sometimes I'll add that idea to my calendar, like on a time where I expect to have more. So I have like Thursday afternoons, typically like for marketing or growth projects. So if I see an interesting post on a new SEO tactic or something, like I will, you know, move that for two weeks out on a Thursday afternoon or something, you know, optimistically thinking like, okay, that's interesting, but not right now. But let me, let me put a pin in that so I can revisit it later. Interesting. Nudge mail. Yeah. I think it's built in in Google now, or it's that streak plugin. Um, it lets you snooze an email. So, but you use yeah. nudge mail, huh? Yeah. I mean, this, it's an old tool. I've been using it for years. So there's probably, okay. there's probably something else at this nudgemail.com. I'll just write it down here. So cool. So what's the one thing you would do differently if you had to do it all over again? lots of things <laughs> you know, that's, like that's hard. Cause like there's value in this journey and you learn something from every mistake and every step along the way. Yeah. I would have like in hindsight, a couple of things, like obviously would have uh, gone bigger on the shoe business while the getting was good. Mm-hmm. Um, would have loved to sell out at, at a nice multiple at the peak of that, instead of, you know, riding it out for years, kind of on this slow decline. Um, I would have loved to have started podcasting a little bit earlier. Um, I think that would have just accelerated things. I wish I had figured out that the podcast was content marketing a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I think that would have accelerated things a little bit. I mean, all this stuff is hindsight, but it's yep. more just, you know, what do you do going forward? Most people tell me they would have started their email list sooner. Well, that's interesting you said podcast because I'm learning that now too. Podcasting is one of the smartest things I ever started. So, yeah. So you almost have to get in your rep. Like the first 50 episodes are relatively yeah. speaking, like are horrible for me. It's like, don't, don't go back and listen to those. But you know, you almost have to get them under your belt to hmm. be able to produce the next 50 the next 50. Are you on the weekly one per week? What's your schedule? Yeah. Generally one a week with an occasional bonus episode thrown in. Cool. Yeah, I, I know some people are crazy. Uh, one a day. Yeah, John, uh, John Lee Dumas, that guy's on fire, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I can't handle that, though. But um, so yeah, one per week. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. So um, do you do any kind of mindfulness or meditation? 
not consistently. Um, it's one of these habits that, you know, I, you can read all the material and you understand all the benefits of this and you, you, you're, you're mentally on board with it, mm-hmm. but then just making it a priority has not happened for me consistently. So I'll go in, I'll go in different streaks where I'll, you know, do it every day for a month. And I don't know, I have yet to see the light on meditation. <laughs> and there's some data that suggests like, well, no, you need to do it, you mm-hmm. know, for 25 hours or something cumulative. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. these, you know, synapses start to repair themselves and you get better at focusing and all this stuff. I don't know. Like, are you a, are you a, a seasoned meditator? I recommend for people that don't like meditation, I recommend highly Tai Chi because I, I did, uh, well, you know, younger, being younger in Southern California, just around, uh, I'm from Orange County, so big Asian influence and the best martial artist in the world right from the source. So I didn't know it, but I was doing meditation the whole time too. And, um, but if you don't like meditation, then do Tai Chi. That is, it's called moving meditation. And uh, Qigong is very similar. Um, I don't know enough about it because I think Tai Chi is really, I, I wouldn't say they're very, they go hand in hand. So, and when I did that, you know, I, I thought it was going to be funny. I thought I was putting it down and stuff. But then, then later on, I said, hey, this isn't about sports, man. This is, um, this is an internal martial art. And now I really miss it when I don't do it. So I, I really, it's moving meditation. So if you don't like sitting or those other versions, try Tai Chi. It might surprise you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So what's on the horizon for you? Next projects. Um, see, I'm, see, I'm awful at this, <laughs> this planning <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, you're usually, you're usually the talker. Huh? You're usually the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's somebody flips the, uh, flips the mic on me. Um, focusing on written content for the site leaning into that a little bit, continuing to produce the show. And the, so like I said, the uh, sponsorships on the show and affiliate offers through the site have kind of been the main pillars of the, of the stool or the main legs of the stool for the last couple of years. I'm trying to add a third in the form of this online course and, you know, working with some, you know, early enrollment students to, try and you know make any necessary adjustments to the material and the delivery of that material and hopefully that can be you know, hopefully it can be valuable for the people going through it number one but hopefully that can end up being kind of the third leg of the stool for side hustle nation cool um um can you, is there a name for it can you talk about it can you pitch it the course sure so this is the side hustle quick start challenge and it aims to you know aims to help the people who always are raising their hand and saying, I don't have a side hustle idea, which is the biggest piece of the pie every time I run a survey, you know, 40, 50% of the audience says, I'm still looking for an idea. And so I wanted to put something together to help that segment of the population uh, come up with ideas, you know, select which ones are most interesting, exciting, or doable for them, validate those in the real world and go out and get their first customers. Cool. And uh, timeline? Start date, you have an, uh, what do you call it? Uh, So I've been doing open and close kind of mini launches to this point. Um, Hopefully, long term, I'd love to have it be an evergreen product that people can enroll in uh, all the time, unless customer feedback dictates otherwise. Hmm. Oh, cool. Right on. So if you do do sidehustlenation.com slash hustle 101, that's kind of like the, you know, tell me when it's ready kind of page. Okay, cool. Side Hustle Nation slash 101, right? Yes. Cool. Got it. Or, yeah, Hustle hustle 101. Hustle. SideHustleNation.com? Yes. Okay. Slash 101, right on. So now I, I got to do this to you, you know. I got I to gotta ask your question that you ask at the end of each podcast. What's your number one tip for the listeners out there? self-publishing related anything it's like side hustle related where do you want oh, to all this? of it give it give us all of it <laughs> yeah it's really to figure out why you want 
to do the thing that you're thinking about doing because like it's not easy like it's so much easier to go sit and watch netflix or you know just not do the hard thing um <laughs> so figuring out why you want to do this like what does that really mean for you what does that mean for your family what does that mean for your bottom line what does that mean for your personal well-being and satisfaction and it's got to come from inside like i was talking to a, a personal trainer friend of mine and asked him kind of the same question, like what separates the people who actually get results versus the people who, you know, gain all this weight back or just like, it doesn't happen. And he's like, without even hesitation, like they got to want it. Like if they really, really want it, they're ready to make this change. Cool. Do you have time for a grab bag question? Uh, let's do it. All right. If you could eat dinner with anyone past, present or future, who would it be? <laughs> I don't know if this is sad or not, but it would really just be my <laughs> wife because, you know, you've got kids that are three and a half, one and a half, like time together alone is very much uh, at a premium right now. So yeah. that, that sounds awesome. That's cool. I like that. No, that's, that's a new one. Haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't want to like, you know, go sit down with who like Lin-Manuel from Hamilton or something. <laughs> like, I don't, like, well, I, I would get like nervous and like, I don't know what I'd say. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, you can go a lot, a lot of different ways with that one. So, okay, where can we all reach you online? The Side Hustle Show podcast is available in Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you like to uh, get your shows. And of course, we mentioned the uh, the monster list of Side Hustle ideas. That's yeah. sidehustlenation.com slash ideas for the constantly updated laundry list of different uh, ways to make extra money that you could start today. There's no opt-in uh, required over there. So we'd love to have you check it out and let me know what you think. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nick. It's been real and it's been really fun and it was great to talk to you finally. And uh, thank you. Likewise. Glad we got a chance to uh, hang out. Definitively. All right. I'll, I'll see you next time then. All right. See ya. Okay, my friends, if you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top.